it's a it's a shorter service, short sermon, and uh, and I actually took one of my past Thanksgiving sermons for the day, and it was only five pages long, and now it's ten pages long, so it won't be so short of a sermon. But um, I think you'll benefit from it if if you're not thinking about your green bean casserole uh, stewing over there at the house, Abby. I want to start by, by saying this. I think that you should journal. I think that you should journal or keep a diary or whatever you want to call it because it's a good way to see the work of God in your life. And that's hugely important. Keeping a journal will cause you to reflect upon God's uh, nearness it will cause you to reflect upon his power. And I'd probably rather use the word providence here. God is providential. And in case you don't know what providence is, it's, it's kind of the idea of God's caretaking. His caretaking of all creation. We should think of him as, as the great governor with intention. Um, there's a theologian by the name of Louis Burkhoff. He was big in Reformed theology, and he actually defines providence this way, and try to hear these words. He says, providence is the work of God by which he preserves all his creatures, is active in all that transpires in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. That's a helpful definition, but when you first hear it or read it, you have to spend more time to think on it, and we'll spend a little more time on that. You might just say this, that providence is God governing in order to bring about the best for his creatures and creation, and, and sometimes, frankly, the best means hell, and sometimes the best means destruction. But oftentimes, and it is always our hope, it means blessing and everlasting life and walking with God and fulfilling our purpose as his people. Now Jesus confirmed that God was this kind of governor. He said, look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In a similar train, Jesus later told people, are not five sparrows are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God why even the hairs of your head are all numbered fear not you are of more value than many sparrows that's that's beautiful then there's Paul in Romans an oft quoted Verse saying, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What a, what a comfort that has been for Christians through history. 
Indeed, that is one of the most often quoted verses to support God's providential work. And it has to do, that whole passage, with Christian suffering. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Consider that in your suffering. Paul is telling the Christian that God is in control and he intends to use even suffering to bring about good for his people. Suffering is not fun. It is hard. It is a dark thing in life. But God is active in it. He uses suffering to direct us to the end he has in mind. Of course, it's not just suffering. God is active in comfortable and delightful times as well. His providence is to be spotted in the birth of a child, in a Thanksgiving celebration, in a paid debt and meeting a new friend. I can't help but think of the providential moment I had when I, when I thought to myself, I want to get to know Hank Snyder. And the reason I said it is I saw him on Facebook smoking a cigar and drinking some bourbon and having some thoughts. I thought, I'd like to get to know that guy. I didn't know him. He was an old newspaper reporter, for some of you who don't know Hank. And so he walked in the back parking lot of where our business used to be located, off of Main Street. And I walked over to him one day. He didn't know me from Adam. And I said, hi, Hank, I'm for Sal Gappa. And I introduced myself. He's able to kind of roll with the punches. It didn't matter so much to him, but he didn't know what I was up to. I said, oh, you know, I'd like to get together with you once in a while, maybe get to know you a little bit better. Now, that might seem a little odd to some people, but I just felt like I really wanted to spend some time with this guy. And, and since then, okay, I have met with Hank and a couple other guys that have been added to our little group once a month for probably the last four years. Two hours, sitting around a table, talking, and uh, the relationship has continued to develop. Always just that much time. But then more recently, in the past year, Hank happens to live up in the, uh, an apartment in the old Masonic Lodge. And I had walked through the building once with him, because that's wh where we would meet once a month. And he showed me around. I thought, wow, this is a really pretty neat building. Well, more recently, the building was going to go up for sale, kind of a private sale at first. It wasn't highly publicized. And we, as a family, were starting to think about another property to purchase. And so... I knew of the buildings maybe going up for sale. Hank was a little concerned that he might have to move after living there for 15 years and he's 79 years old. Um, I don't think he has a problem with me saying any of these things, okay? Or I wouldn't say them. And uh, so my desire for Hank and our desire to maybe find a place um, to, to purchase as a property uh, led me to talk to John Karsten, a real estate 
buddy that I've always used when we've purchased anything in, in Waupon area. And sure enough, um, we made an offer and purchased the building, and Hank gets to continue living there, and we're using and renting out storefronts um, in, the, in the front of this building. But I, I say all that to say, to say this, right? Providentially, it all started with me looking at a Facebook page and going, I think I'd like to get to know that guy a little better. And then introducing myself in a back parking lot and God continuing to take it from there. I think I play an important role in his life now, and he plays an important role in my life, in a limited fashion. So, God is active in even the meeting of a new friend. But you need to be attentive to it over time. On Monday, Dave, a customer friend of mine, he was between a rock and a hard place. Dave works for Align Energy. And he emailed our company. I didn't get the email. Actually, Zach and Ashley did, or orders at Gappa Security Solution did. But he emailed us with an urgent request for some cylinders and cores that we don't normally have in stock. They're oddball items. If he didn't get them, he called me the day after. If he didn't get them right away, then he's going to have to delay a large installation project concerning another company, Permar. And so he called me the day after on Tuesday, as I, as I was mentioning, very anxious about this. He had kind of like um, dropped things. He should have gotten to this weeks ago. And so he's, he's saying, you're doing me a huge favor, man, if you could just do this. He's very anxious about it. So I call into the office and talk to Ashley and said, hey, check to see if we actually have these cores. There might be some on my counter in my office. And so she did, and she, sure enough, we had, we had the cores. We, we could do it. So I called Dave back, and I said, good news. God must be on your side today because we, we have all the cylinders and housings that you need, and we can ship them out. Now, I didn't no sooner finish that sentence than Dave rapidly, he's a rapidly maturing Christian, all right? But he responded um, appropriately. He said to me, and I said, I have good news for you. God must be on your side. He said, I hope God is on my side, whether you have good news or bad news for me. Amen. Of course, Dave, Dave was right, and I think I shouldn't have said things the way I said things, right? Because the providence of God is to be seen in all things, blessings and curse, good and bad, light and dark, little, big, seen and unseen. But what's more is we should be grateful for all. That's hard. We should be grateful for all. Because we should be grateful for him and his purposes. Remember, providence is the work of God by which he preserves all his creatures, is active in all that transpires in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. 
Dave's mindset is what I would expect from myself or any Christian. We are to think of ourselves as friends of God, as people for whom He cares and and for whom He works. His thought is upon us. He has in mind for us a destiny, a destiny. And whether we experience good or bad, tiny or huge, seen or unseen, it's all good because we have Him. He is in the thing as it transpires. And He is, he is ever on mission. God is a benevolent governor. I take issue, actually. Uh, kind of irritates me. With people who think of themselves victims. Always the victim. Forever the victim. Life is regularly against them. Things don't go their way. That kind of thing. It, it's a pathetic way to live. Woe is me, kicking the dirt. My suffering is so great. I can't believe it. I feel like it's improper to be that way. Such a person, I don't think, really respects God as he should. For that kind of attitude treats God as incapable of helping you, incapable. Or or it treats him as he's unjustifiably and unwilling to work things to your favor. To give that person what they need. That's no way to think of God. There's always something at work. He's always doing something for a reason. Now, surely it's easy for any Christian to stagger in life when punched in the face. The question is, how quickly can can you get your wits about you and realize that God was in control even of that stunning blow? How quickly? How long is it going to take for you to figure that out? Because if you're of the mindset that, okay, I got punched in the face, I'm staggering, why did this happen? And then you begin to think, what are you doing, God? Now you're on the right path. The alternative, okay, for the victim, the alternative is to falter around the ring, seeing stars, unable to lift your gloves and continue the fight. Unbelieving Christians spend much of life staggered by every blow. While believing ones, they shake off the punch, are ready to go back at it. And, and don't take this the wrong way. By unbelieving Christians, 
I'm not saying they're not Christians. But they have not learned to appreciate God as the governor of all things. And that takes time. I think the word to get your head around in that Burkhoff definition of providence is the word all. He preserves all his creatures, is active in all that transpires, directs all things. The providence of God was at the forefront of the pilgrims' theology, right? Thanksgiving, pilgrims, they were Puritans. They considered all that entered life to have had to pass through the fingers of God. Pleasant and unpleasant. What better comfort than that? When you see everything as brought to you by God, then you no longer see yourself as the victim of circumstance, abused by evil and chance. Do you? Sure, you... You may be victimized by men and angels, right? But you know God is governing it. Christian, when you believe in the providence of God, then storms and germs and criminals and pay raises and feasting and justice are all His to utilize for your good. When God is in control and He is on your side, then what can possibly go wrong? With a God like this, we begin to respond to him rather than react anxiously over circumstances. And probably that's what I was getting at most when I shared my prayer, thanks with Paul earlier, is the load that was on top of me, however many years ago when we bought Storbeck building, and where I, how I was reacting to it is a lot different than this bigger load that's on me now, but I feel like I'm a little more responding to God in it. Not perfectly, but he's taken me a ways. It's hard for people to think this way today. We've been trained in school by various medium politicians, colleagues even, that, that God is always part of the formula, but not, not having written the formula. He's just part of it. There are, in this way of thinking, many unplanned things that happen. Chance things. There's chaos in our experience that we need to accept. We're told that things just happen. And God is distant. He's not in it. That is not comforting. That is not comforting, and I won't have that. Not me. Not according to what Jesus said about the the sparrows and my hair. That's not how, how God says it goes down. I refuse to think like that. It diminishes God to say that some things are outside of his control. Such a God is not God. 
I don't care if the thing is small like a molecule or big like a mountain or invisible like an angel. I don't care if the thing makes ethical decisions of right and wrong like a man or is driven about by carnivorous cravings like a lion in the sub-Saharan Africa or climbs around on a, on a wet Tootsie Roll pop like an ant on the sidewalk. I don't care what it is. God controls it all and uses all things for his purposes. Amen. Nothing slips by him. His eye is on the sparrow for crying out loud. Not a hair of your head is being ignored ever. So the Puritans, right? They wrote journals and histories and letters. And these, you saw in these, these things the recorded providence of God. They learned that God was a benevolent governor, that he orchestrated things according to his purpose. And then, what did they do? They humbled themselves under his sovereign rule. For he was the great shepherd, and he had a rod and a staff, and the rod of his rule and discipline was important to them, as well as the staff of his guidance and his care. Now, I'm going to read to, to you some journal entries. First one is coming from their governor, William Bradford. And he wrote about a curious incident that took place on the ship, on the Mayflower, as they came from, from England over the Atlantic. This is what he said. I must not omit to mention here a special example of God's providence. There was an insolent and very profane young man one of the sailors, which made him more overbearing. He wasn't one of them, you know, God-fearing. Who was always harassing the poor people in their sickness and cursing them daily with grievous execrations and did not hesitate to tell them he he hoped to help throw half of them overboard before they came to their journey's end. If he were gently reproved by anyone, he would curse and swear most bitterly. But it pleased God before they came half seas over to smite the young man with a grievous disease of which he died in a desperate manner and so was himself the first to be thrown overboard. Thus his curses fell upon his own head which astonished all his mates for they saw it was the just hand of God upon him. Immediately someone's going to say, okay, maybe, that you mustn't say that God brought his justice down upon this hateful young sailor, and that Bradford is taking liberties here with his language, his judgments. But I'll just say this, All Bradford did here was describe things objectively. He just gave the details. He was an observer. Bradford just describes. Here's what he described in that paragraph. That sounded pretty indicting, right? He described, number one, the sailor was insolent and very profane young man. You could have spotted that. There's no mystery there. Two, 
He was harassing and cursing the people, hoping to be able to throw half of them overboard before the, ship, before the trip ended. That's what he did. Three, when people gently corrected him, he reviled them and became more bitter. He did that. Four, God smote the young man with a grievous disease. It certainly happened. Are you saying God didn't do that? Not if you're a Puritan. Five, he died and was thrown overboard himself. Six, his curses fell upon his own head. His verbal curses against them happened to him, is what Bradford's saying. And then seven, his mates, other sailors, felt it was the justice of God come down upon him. That's what they felt. Bradford just reported. So I suggest... When you keep your journal, let the bulk of it simply describe what you experience. Start with the things that stuck out to you in your day or, or week or month, depending on how frequently you're going to write your, your journal, your diary. What do you recall from that day? What did you like that happened? What did you not like that happened? What did you find interesting or unexpected? Journal or diary writing forces you to remember your day or week or month, whatever it is you want to capture as your small picture of life. It'll, it'll serve you in your future. Ultimately, such writing might, makes you reflect upon your own history. If, if you're one of those people, one of those things that God is active in the life of to bring you to his desired destination, then you should be as invested in yourself as he is. Here's another pilgrim's recording. This happens to be the only, only descriptive primary source account of what we consider the first Thanksgiving. And, it, and it's written by uh, Edward Winslow. It's the uh, the first, uh, oh, it's actually the 2nd December, they came in winter. It's the 2nd it's the uh, December in 1621, right? So they came, they came over, took them 60 days or, or something along that line to the New World, arriving in like September-ish. And then they went through a very difficult winter. They planted in spring. This is the following harvest, okay? They're celebrating December 11th. Edward Winslow, he's actually writing home about the Plymouth Plantation. And he says this, you shall understand that in this little time that a few of us have been here, we have built seven dwelling houses and four for the use of the plantation and have made preparation for diverse others. We set the last, we set the last spring, some 20 acres of Indian corn and sowed some six acres of barley and peas. And according to the manner of the Indians, we manured our ground with herrings, or rather shads, the fish, which we have in great abundance and take with great ease at our doors. Our corn did prove well, and God be praised, we had a good increase of Indian corn and our barley indifferent good, but our peas not worth the gathering, for we feared that, we, that they were too late sown, and they came up very well, but blossomed, and the sun parched them in the blossom. So, 
Winslow's report so far is a lot happier than the Bradford account on the ship. And I'll read the rest of the Winslow thing in just a second. However, what Winslow is not mentioning here is all that transpired up until this point, right? The hard things. They came over with 102 people, and before that harvest, in fact, before spring, 50 of them had died. It's like 50% of their people were gone. They buried them. Severe winter. They didn't have houses at first and forts, you know, so they suffered, they suffered scurvy, which is apparently a lack of vitamin C. But it's when your, your, your gums swell and bleed and you get these blue spots all over your body and you lose energy. You're weakened. The voyage was difficult on them, but so was the new world. Sometimes two or three people died in one day. So Bradford records God's hand of provision, even, knowing, even during those very difficult times. And listen to what he says here. In the time of worst distress, there were but six or seven sound persons who, to their great commendation, be it spoken, spared no pains night or day, but with great toil and at the risk of their own health, fetched wood, made fires, prepared food for the sick, made their beds, washed their infected clothes, dressed and undressed them. In a word, did all the homely and necessary services for them, which dainty and queasy stomachs cannot endure to hear mentioned. Yeah, probably like the things you got to do when you're taking care of great-grandma, you know, and she can't do anything for herself. And all this that they did willingly and cheerfully without the least grudging, showing their love to the friends and brethren, a rare example and worthy to be remembered. Two of these seven were William, Mr. William Brewster, their reverend elder, and Miles Standish, their captain and military commander, to whom myself and many others were much beholden in our low and sick condition. And yet the Lord so upheld these men that in this general calamity they were not at all infected with sickness. So Bradford sees God's hand in these events. He especially notes God's gracious work in the service of these seven men. And he later reflects and says this, the spring now approaching, it pleased God, the mortality began to cease among them, and the sick recovered apace, which put new life into them all, though they had borne their sad afflictions with as much patience and contentedness as I think any people could do. Bradford also points to God's providence in that first year with how he provided an Indian by the name of Squanto. And he wrote this of the colonists. Squanto stayed with them and was their interpreter and became a special instrument sent of God for their good, beyond their expectation. He showed them how to plant their corn, where to take fish and other commodities, and guided them to unknown places and never left them till he died. He was a native of these parts and had been one of the few survivors of the plague hereabouts. So, they counted their blessings. God showed mercy 
to them in their mind as they regained health and strength and began to turn their attentions back to the settlement. They continued to build, but also began the work uh, to work the ground and plant seed for food and fish. So when the harvest comes later, after that work, after that first horrible year, God, God got the glory again. And here's where I pick up with that Winslow's last part of the Thanksgiving account. He writes, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling. They went bird, bird hunting. So that we might after have a special, have a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors, they four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help besides served the company almost a week. At which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among, among the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men. So they were joined by the Indians at this feasting time. Whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And, and although it, it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. So he's writing that in a letter. But that's how they thought about life, right? Facts were not random. Accidents did not happen. No part of life was by chance, even in every dark thing. They looked for God's goodness, for he was with them. The Puritans celebrated Thanksgiving because they knew they had God to thank. They also took an approach to life to think that God was always right. God is always behind history. Not a sparrow falls, all right? Every hair is accounted for. The Puritans were a pious people. They walked with God. They applied his word. They sought to obey him. They lived as people who examined themselves and their part in history. I think we should do the same. Admittedly, when you write a diary or a journal, you are recording the things that stick out in your mind. Most things go unnoticed. But do not live an unexamined life. I don't understand people who live an unexamined life, who just go to work and talk to their friends and play games and eat and sleep and go to work and talk to their friends and play games and eat and sleep. There's no examination of who they are, where they've come from, what they're here for. Do not live an unexamined life. Think of it, record it. About two years ago, my children gave me a laborious task as a gift. They're giving me a gift. I've got to do the work for it. They purchased the StoryWorth account, right, for me. Now, StoryWorth is an online company, and it's designed to ask you a lot of questions, one a week or one a day, how often you want to answer it, and you write your responses, and you submit them. And so I wrote responses to the stories they, uh, the questions they had asked, Right or wanted me to answer, 
and put a picture with it, and it recounted from my past history. So, so I've got the book called Orange Socks, and uh, my name on there, not to be sold, just for them, really, <laughs> but Orange Socks is a story in itself, right? But um, I think it helped me to reflect even more than I might normally reflect by my own haphazard journaling about my life, about providence, what I experienced, why did God bring me through that, the relationships I had. And now that it's done, okay, it's kind of a record that my descendants can look at if they ever want to, to make sense of their own histories, which I think is valuable, especially if you're your parents or grandparents right now, you, you should share your history. And, and now, as a, a great blessing, I want to encourage my children to make their mom do this. It was a lot of work. I was really glad when I was done. But it was a good experience. I want to just close this way, by encouraging you, okay, to think about these three things. God acts in your life, Number one, there's no part in your life he leaves alone. He's, he's all around each of us acting and sustaining and bringing the seconds of history to the destination he desires. Two, we are privileged. We're privileged to play our incredible part, but it is, but it is his theater. In him we live and move and have our being, Paul says in Acts 17.28. And three, look, look closer. Look closer. It's a measure of maturity to examine your life with God, but it doesn't come naturally. As a result, too many don't look for him at all. They ignore him as the primary actor. But you, Christian, if you learn to look for him, I guarantee you will find comfort in life and in death. Let us pray. Lord, I pray and I ask that uh, the uh, patience that's been shown to me here is um, well paid. Lord, that you would take what I did and use it in the hearts and souls of each one here in Jesus' name.